cool. How are you guys? Awesome. It's wonderful to be with you. I'm here with my wife. She's somewhere back there. I don't see her. Yeah, there she is. Oh, yeah. There she is in the back corner. Oh, man. So today is Friday. You guys are almost done. That's sad. Today is also our middle child's birthday. So he's at home in Portland with grandma, and uh, he's eight today. So we have, a, we have five kids. So we have a 14-year-old, 11-year-old, and 8-year-old now. Those are all boys. And then we have a 3-year-old girl. And then we have a 1-year-old boy. So they're all pretty tremendous human beings. Honored to know them. Uh, wish they could be here with you guys. Uh, yeah, we, 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 are, we are Calvary Vista natives. Calvary Vista, are you here? Yeah. Yeah, I met my wife at Calvary Christian School. We were 15. So that's pretty crazy. Now we're 35. Don't do the math. Or do it. Do the math. That's pretty simple. 20 years. Um, yeah, you guys, I, I, I just want to spend this morning talking about how loved you are. You're very, very loved. Uh, today, today, this morning, I want to talk about how loved you are. And then tonight we're going to talk about what loved people do. Lo- love people, lo- sorry, loved people, love people. You've heard the phrase, maybe you haven't hurt people, hurt people. Well, we're going to turn that around because God is a God of resurrection and redemption. He loves you and he changes your hurts into things that are more like metals in his kingdom. You wear them with joy because it's God's healing that is shown through those hurts when they turn to scars. So it's not so much hurt people, hurt people, as it is loved people, love people. So we're going to spend the last day, fittingly so, talking about love. Let's pray. I think we're going to um, listen to the Holy Spirit for a bit. We're just going to sit together. He's here. He's present. He's desperately in love with you. He desires a deeper and deeper connection with you. You, I think we're going to sing that song. I have a cheat sheet. I have the set list. We're going to sing Holy Spirit. And and I love singing Holy Spirit because there's like this, there's like this kind of like almost a contradictory overlap in that song. This is how a worship songwriter thinks. Uh, But the verse or the chorus is, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come, flood this place. And then the bridge says, Lord, make us more aware of your presence as if he already is here. So which is it? Are we asking the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us? Are we asking him to like, he wasn't here, so come Holy Spirit and then he comes? Or is it, Lord, open our minds to more and more awareness that you're already working and you're already loving, which is it? Is it come here because you're not? Or is it open our minds because you are? And I think the answer to that is yes. <laughs> yes, it's both. It's mystical, it's, it's immaterial, it's difficult to describe, but I think we can come like children. We've already talked about our identity as children. Uh, so we can come like children and bask in the love of God and pray for more of it, which is uh, just kind of blows a fuse. But let's do that right now. Let's just, if, you, if you're comfortable with it, I believe body posture also postures the soul. We are, we are whole persons. We are body, soul, spirit creatures. We are humans that are not like body over here, soul over here. We are whole persons. And when we kneel, we actually urge our souls to get in a humble place with the Lord. And when we lift our hands, just like Nathan Gallagher just ex- described, when we lift our hands, we actually spur our souls to say yes, Lord, to whatever he has. So if we can, 
open your palms upward, not because God's up and he wants to give something down to you, like a download, but because your soul needs to be reminded that he's near and sometimes your soul falls asleep. I I know that uh, it's been a long week and you're tired, so we're gonna engage our bodies in prayer right now. Just hold your arms out. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, speak. Our palms are open. The soft, the soft flesh of our hands is open to you. We trust you. You're not gonna drive nails through our hands. That happened to you. You're not gonna give us a scorpion when we ask for food, like Jesus said you won't. You're a good father. You're not gonna give a stone when we ask for eggs for breakfast. You're a good father, so we open our hands to you urging our soul to say yes to you this hour. We say yes to you. I pray that you would blow up bad ideas about you this morning. If there's anyone here with a bad idea about you, a wrong idea, a small idea, a narrow idea that's been perverted by things that are not of you, if we have ideas that keep us from seeing your love, Lord, would you shatter them like those plates in that video and rebuild in us a big picture of you. We want to think big thoughts of you that are true. We love you. So let's listen. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? He's speaking. Right as I got quiet, a little, one of those pesky gnats flew by my ear and I was reminded of Daniel last night. Just just batting away those gnats, I (laughs) I think Jesus wants us to be undistracted from his love. He wants us to feel the whole weight. He wants us to feel it all this morning. Feel the love. We can know it by mental assent, but we if we do not feel by true experience the encountering love of Jesus, what are we doing? Lord, don't distract us. Keep the gnats away. Not just the real ones, but the, the metaphorical ones, whatever they are. Let's keep listening. What has he said this week to you? What has he said this week that's, that's more proof, as if you needed more, of how much God is loving you, in pursuit of you, desiring your eyes to be locked on his? Sometimes he brings a name to your mind when you listen. Maybe it's you being called to be God's love to that person. I know that's tonight's topic, but we don't want to miss if he's speaking. Yeah. 
Thank you, Father, for your goodness. I pray that you would unfold your goodness, unpack it even more for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So loved people love people. So let's talk about how we're loved people. You're loved people. You guys are loved. And my wife and I were praying for you about half an hour ago out on the deck. And uh, right as we were praying, there was, there was one, I don't know who she is, where she's from, but one girl uh, came, out of the, came out of the cabin crying, and then a, a counselor started to love on that girl and encourage her and pray with her. And I just get the sense from that moment that there are many, many of you here that are still not believing God's love, that you're not, you're not stepping into the reality that is God's love for you. For whatever reason, I don't know. And I know that's, a, that's an easy thing to say, like, oh, the preacher just said there's people that need God's love. <laughs> but I, I don't think it goes without saying. I think it's very much worth saying, and I think it's worth believing that maybe you are that person that God is just aching to see step like leaps and bounds closer to how much he loves you. Um, so hope, hopefully you hear from him right now, not just from Evan. And I want to... I wanna, talk real quick. It's not, a, I don't have a whole lot of notes. It's, it's a really simple thing that I have to share with you this morning. I don't know, you've, you've heard a lot of talking this week, right? So I want to talk about the word lost. Um, we talk about lost people like, oh yeah, we're out to evangelize the lost. Or like, I pray a lot of lost people come to church. Oh man, my grandma's lost. And we talk about that word lost. And I actually think, I think we need to save that word today. We need to like, there's that, there it is. No Jesus, more Lord. Church. <laughs> um, I, think, I think that word lost, I think we need to take it back. I think the word lost has fallen on hard times. Um, like, it can sound arrogant and condescending. Like, like, as if we, the found ones, have it all together, while the lost need to get their act together right? Like, as if we're the oasis of perfection in the desert, and they're the thirsty travelers, and if they only find our water, then all will be well for them. Uh, as if, right? As if. And uh, that, that phrase, that word, the lost, it can give the impression that we're the destination. If only they were at camp this week. I wish they would have just come by invitation, I was offering to pay their way. They didn't come. They're lost. As if we're the destination and they have to journey to where we are in order to arrive. But the problem is, you guys, when Jesus uses the term, <laughs> he actually flips it and it has the opposite connotation. He flips it around. Being lost, for Jesus, being lost doesn't mean you come to find God. It means God is out to find you. That's what lost means for Jesus. Um, so open your Bibles to Luke 15. We're gonna spend time in just one chapter of the Bible this morning. And I think this is super fitting before baptisms. Luke chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Some of you have your arms folded. That's okay, share with your neighbor. No shame. So in Luke 15, Jesus tells three really, I almost held two, three, I am like, like Yoda, I have four fingers, but no, Qui-Gon Jinn, that's good, I like that. 
In Luke 15, Jesus shares three famous stories, super famous, you've heard them before. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son, okay? In each of these stories, we're gonna see that lost doesn't mean idiot, fool, or outsider. Lost means loved. That's what lost means. It means loved. It's the same, okay? So let's read verses one through seven. I'll read out loud, you follow along. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. I love that. I don't know, muttered. (laughs) But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. And they're like, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse three, then Jesus told them this parable. You ready for this? Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. And then Jesus gives his little comment. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, so Jesus opens this chapter with a story of a shepherd. Uh, We'll call him uh, Aaron. We'll call the shepherd Aaron. You know Aaron. <clears throat> so shepherd Aaron's hanging out in the fields with his, with his hundred, hundred sheep, and he suddenly realizes one is missing. Shoot. What do you do? W- what would you do? Like, if there was one sheep missing and you have 99 still, you're in the open field, Jesus asks his audience. He asks his audience this question. He's like, so wouldn't you leave the 99 out unattended in the open country and go after that one lost sheep until you find it? Like, wouldn't you? Obvious question, right? Like, like, would you leave the 99 for the one? There's a no, there's a yes. Would, let me ask you, I'm serious. Like, would you leave 99 sheep in the open country for one? There's some no's because you're catching on, I think. Some of you are smart. The rest of us are like dumb modern Americans like, that have never shepherded in our lives. Um, so we say like, yeah, yeah, of course, like Jesus, right? Like love, this, love that one sheep, like go drop everything for that one sheep. Jesus, I grew up with this story. Yeah, that's what you do because we're dumb Californians. Um, I'm an Oregonian now, so just kidding. I'm Californian at heart. But we are non-shepherds, pretty much all of us. The safe, because the safe bet is the 99. That's the safe bet. It's staying with the 99. What, I mean, why leave them open to wolves and robbers? Sheep are stupid, easy prey. If you leave the 99 sheep to go find one, you might end up walking home with 99 problems and one living sheep, right? So, so just, just, just one, leave 99 for just one, that's bad economics. The safe bet is the 99. So when Jesus asks the question, wouldn't you leave the 99 for the one sheep? Wouldn't you leave them in the open, unattended country for the one? The smart shepherds in his Jewish audience, they were like, uh, no, no. What is he saying? This guy's nuts. You count your 99 blessings, bummer about the one, I'm stoked that I'm still rich. That's what you do as a shepherd. You stick with the safe bet. You stay with the 99. But God missed economics class, thankfully. He missed economics 101 in junior college. Shepherd Aaron sets out on the hunt. He leaves the 99 for the one. And in the same way, you guys, God left the safe bet to go find the one. 
See, Aaron tracks in the open plains, he climbs the rocky cliffs, he slashes through the shrubbery, and he finally finds her. He finds her and he comes upon her. And so for Jesus, your loss doesn't mean you have to go and find God and his gang. It means the opposite. It means God has left his gang to come find you. That's what Jesus, that's what God's love does. God doesn't say, hey, if you love me, here's my church, come find your way here. No, he says, because I love you, I am coming like a reckless, bad economic shepherd to come find you and leaving my gang. That's the reckless love. God tells us, Jesus tells us, God is a reckless shepherd. What do you think should happen when Aaron reaches that lost lamb? So Aaron, shepherd Aaron, comes upon that lost lamb. His shadow, his long, imposing shadow, Jedi shadow, is, is cast over that lamb as the sun begins to set. He has his arms like this. What does he say? What would God, what would you, what would your family, what, what do you think he would say? Um, I mean, I can imagine myself, like if it was one of my kids, and I haven't been able to find my kids for hours in the neighborhood. Finally, I find them. It's like, what were you thinking? What were you doing? Like, how, why can't you be like your 99 responsible brothers and sisters and just do what I say? Uh, but Jesus says there was no, Jesus says there was no, I told you so. There was no, if you ever again, there was none of that. Instead, the shepherd, quote, joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. That's insane. That's actually really crazy. Like, for two reasons. Number one, Shepherd Aaron is joyful. Like, grinning ear to ear, fist pumping. You guys, God doesn't greet us with a stern reprimand, if you ever, but with joy. God delights in discovering us. Our lost and wandering, we are his lost and wandering lambs, and he delights when his pursuit and our existence intersect. Rather than giving us a roadmap to find our directions back home, God is thrilled to throw us over his shoulders and carry us home himself. He's joyful about finding us. He's joyful about finding you. Do you guys believe that? Are there some of you left in this room that are having trouble believing that? God is joyful about finding you right now, the front row and the back row. He's joyful about finding you. So that's number one why this is insane. And the shepherd probably has a few screws loose. It's crazy to call God crazy, but that's what this seems like. God's crazy. So number one, he's joyful about this search and rescue mission. And number two, he throws a block party, okay? So this, like the last thing I would, I don't know, this is the last thing I would do, tired, exhausted, wiped out, crashed on the couch, feet on the table, watch Hulu, call it a day, like, right? Like, but not God. God says it's time for like a neighborhood like rager. It's time for a neighborhood bash right now, like one sheep. It's time to rage. This is everyone. Everyone come. So let me ask you this. Who celebrates their pet with a party? There's three people. You belong in Portland because you're weird like us. Portlanders are weird. <laughs> I remember being in line for one of those really nice boutique snobby coffee shop hipster places, and uh, I had my daughter in a stroller. She was a lot younger. Really small, cute, beautiful little girl. I think she's the world. And so I get up to the coffee line, and this tatted up, 
top-knotted, horn-rimmed glasses, like vegan tatted on her neck. Like, she's like, I get up to the, normally it's like, what would you like? No words. She's like, she takes one look at my daughter and goes, and I'm like, uh, almond milk latte, something, I don't know, I like order pay and leave. And behind me, there's this, there's this gentleman with three little dogs on a leash, like normal dogs. And this lady goes, oh, I love dogs so much. <laughs> no, that's just Portland. Like, that's just weird. Like, weeping over the dogs and, like, the, the baby was like, get dirty. Like, that's just Portland. So who, like, Portlanders celebrate their pets with a party. But even then, like, not like this. Like, I lost my hamster so many times as a kid. Little white hamster, we innovatively named him Hampy. I was a little, I was young. He would always find, like, really innovative ways to escape. Like, we tried a twisty tie several times on his cage door. And he, he was like... And he'd leave... Everything we'd try, he'd end up on the floor somewhere in the house. He'd, he'd get lost. So I, I liked the hamster. The hamster was great, like, hampy. I really liked him. I was really sad when he eventually, like, blew up like a balloon and died as, I don't know what was wrong with his, some liver thing. Um, I liked him. Every time he got lost, I would search high and low. I'd, like, uh, look under the bed, look at, and eventually I'd see, like, a little white streak dart out of my peripheral vision. I'd be like, uh, and he'd, and he'd be behind a nightstand or something. Um, so I'd find him, and I'd always find him, and I'd be glad. I'd be glad. I wasn't sadistic and like, let's see how, if he dies today. I was glad to find him. I was, but, but, but I wasn't like, but here's how glad. I was like, I was like hey, let's get a pizza and watch a movie. Glad. That's how glad I was. Let's, let's like get takeout and watch a movie. I wasn't like, I wasn't like, let's spend hundreds of dollars on a block party and tell all our friends Hampy's back. Glad. I wasn't that. Uh, I mean, can you imagine that party? Like, you call all your neighbors in your street, like, my hamster's back. And they're like, you want to come over for, you want me to come for what? I'm like, hampy. And I just, you know, that's insane. That's crazy. And this is, this is exactly the feeling Jesus is giving right now. God celebrates the people we don't expect. He leaves the safe bet and searches harder and farther than you can imagine for us. For us, you guys, okay? So, okay. When he finds us, he throws the biggest block party we've ever seen. Do you believe this? Do you believe that he's that good? And the lost sheep is actually the loved. Do you believe that that's you? So Jesus begins with Aaron the shepherd, and then he moves on to two more stories. Talks about a crazy woman. Think of a name for her, I don't know. Let's, verse eight. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. So here you go, 10 coins, loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, crazy, I need a name. Crazy Sherry. Crazy Sherry. She's nuts. She probably has lots of cats. 
Crazy Sherry loses one, one of her 10 coins, okay? So she goes on the hunt. Unfortunately, this is before the day of metal detectors, so she flips the couch cushions, sweeps the entire house, and scours every nook and cranny. The sun eventually goes down, so we'd expect her to stop, stop searching and like get ready for bed. There's no electricity in ancient Near Eastern Israel. But no, instead of giving up, instead of like, I'm just gonna get my iPad in this no electricity land and watch, again, Hulu, Jimmy Fallon has a new clip. And I am one coin short, that's all right. Like, in, instead of giving up, Jesus tells us that crazy Sherry lights a lamp, which is expensive, that's oil. You have to press that three different times over several weeks. Olive oil is like gold. But she lights a lamp and continues her search into the night. This is the one determined, crazy woman. Do you believe this is God for you? Once again, once again, Jesus asks the question, wouldn't you do that? Wouldn't you light a lamp, spend oil, stay up late? Wouldn't you do that for one coin? And Jesus is like almost messing with people by this point. They're like, no. Why are you... Stop, You're, this is insane. I don't think so, I like sleep. This morning I set my alarm, this, literally, this morning, I set my alarm for 5.45, 5.50, but since our kids are at home in Portland and it's quiet and sleep is like gold for us, I slept in bed until 7.30. I pressed snooze until I decided to just scrap it and slept till 7.30, massive treat, okay? So I don't think I'd give up on my sleep to search for one single coin, I have nine, especially if I have nine perfectly good coins. Um, Spending money on the oil, it's just so counterproductive. Work comes bright and early. Anyways, I don't want to be up all night. I know how that's going to feel in the morning. Besides, if I'm too tired, I'll sleep through my alarm, and then I might be late for work, and my boss will get mad at me, and I'll lose my job, which is where I make coin. So the, this is totally, un, this is, doesn't make any sense at all. So if I were Crazy Sherry, I'd chalk up the loss, count my nine blessings, and sleep, go to bed. But God slept through math class economics class. God slept through it. Our creator is not an accountant, calmly counting the cost, who is saved, who is not, who is lost, who is saved, hmm, this is a fair, that is not, that is not God. Jesus tells us this. He's not a level-headed lady up high in a high-rise office, detached from life on the street, making impersonal decisions of the world below. That's actually a huge misnomer these days. They think God is up there somewhere, a big man upstairs, pulling levers, making sure the world turns out as best as it can. And the people that are stupid and lost, they just miss the boat. He doesn't have time. He's busy saving the rest. That is the most toxic lie. We want to think true big thoughts of God, not puny, small, poisonous thoughts of God. No, our maker is Crazy Sherry. That's our maker. Up all night, turning over couches, turning over couches, looking for that one missing Roosevelt. That one missing nickel or whatever. God, God is a, fran this is a metaphor, God is a frantic woman tearing the house apart in search of lost change. That's who he is. Do you believe that? Do you like live your Monday morning believing that? Waking up knowing that you are in his crosshairs. 
Again, like I said before, you guys, lost doesn't mean we go to find God. No. Okay. No one expects the coin to pick itself up and search for the woman. No one expects that. It's a lifeless hunk of metal. On the contrary, the movement is from the opposite direction. Jesus emphasizes not our pursuit of God, but his pursuit of us. We are the coin. All of us are the lost coin. We're sitting under the dresser. We're stuffed in the couch pillow. We're in that little crack where it smells. We're in the couch crack, okay? We're satisfied. We're satisfied in the dusty corner of the room where it's like musty and like kind of greasy but dusty so the dust is like stuck to the ground. And we like it. We don't move. That's who we are. We're used to the smell. We're content with the couch pillow. And the shadows are like comforting. We get to hide. But as we're there, as we're there in the corner with the musty, nasty, dusty, smelly shadow, we hear the ruckus coming. We hear the couch turning over. And we hear the lamp crashing down and maybe the light bulb smashes so he has to light an olive oil lamp at our expense, at his own expense. The whirlwind of love is getting closer and closer to you. God's reckless love is tearing the house apart to find you. So both reckless Aaron, the shepherd, and crazy Sherry, they show us that lost means, what does lost mean? It means wanted. Lost means valued. It doesn't mean lazy. Lost means loved. And then, for his third story, his final story, Jesus like raises the stakes. He moves from the shepherd's one sheep out of a hundred to the woman's one coin out of 10, he ups the percentage from 1% to 10%. And now the stage is set for his third and final story where he's about to go all in, raise the stakes to 50% with an infinitely greater object, way better than a sheep or a coin. So Luke 15, 11 through 32. This is the last story and we're gonna sing. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods, that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I'll sit out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He thought that in his head. So he got up and went to his father. And then verse 20, we're there. He got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast, celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. That's where we'll stop. Okay, so younger son. 
It doesn't say his name. We get to give him one. Someone, someone meaningful. I don't know. Are you, are you David? You're David? David. I like that. Put himself out there. He is David. He likes role-playing. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Younger son, David. He asks his dad for his money. Okay. He asks his dad for his inheritance. And he packs his bag and sets off for a faraway place. Sounds normal. Like, hey, dad, can I have my share? I'm going to go move. Like, that's normal. Like, in the West, we think that's normal. We feel good about that. Like, ooh, yeah, that's nice. We tell our kids, we tell our I tell. Grow up, stop living in the basement, and go make a name for yourself, right? Like, that's a good thing. You don't want to see a 29-year-old man living completely off his parents, like, mooching in the basement, pizza and video games. Like, that's, uh, that's, that's a cultural no-no for us today. And when we think of someone living at home with his daddy and mommy for too long, we go, he better get out soon. He could actually get out by 18 if he's responsible enough. So we're like, this is good. This guy's like asking for his share and leaving home. Sounds normal, but this is a sacrilege in those times. Hideous news for the family. Uh, it was the equivalent of flipping your dad the bird and telling him to go die. The equivalent, that's the same thing. Because, because the younger son is abandoning his family. In those days, customary to take over your family business, whether it's agriculture work or shepherding or whatever, he was like, screw all that. I want my share of the money that <laughs> I want my share of the money that I'm going to get when you die now because I don't care when you die. This is what's happening here. So he's turning back he's turning his back on his family, his town, because his town needed his family to keep the business going, and his god because that's the way they viewed it. He's not asking to leave for noble reasons like to help his sick grandma in Antioch or something. He's not, he's not asking to leave so that he can like go work in downtown Jerusalem to support the family in Galilee. He's not leaving for good reasons. His purposes are only selfish. He, he specifically pursues what it calls wild living. He's off to the big city for sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That is his goal. That is why he's leaving. Um, he looks his father in the eye. Rock and roll is not bad, and sex is great. So, But uh, drugs is bad if it's illegal. So... But as far as, as far as sex, drugs, and rock and roll, before it's ready, before it's time, the culture that surrounds that, people leave home, you guys, people leave home all the time for that culture. People leave home constantly. And Jesus is saying, that's what this person is doing. He looks his father in the eye, declares his own independence, and buys a one-way ticket to Babylon, where you can get sex, drugs, and rock and roll any way you like it, regardless of what God, your family, or your conscience say. So, he looks his father in the eye and says, drop dead, dad, I'm off. And I'm actually gonna tell you what I'm doing. Back then, a son asking for his inheritance from his dad was a slap in the dad's face. Um, he would've got the money when his dad died, but he wanted it now. Drop dead, dad. I don't want life with you. I just want what I can get out of you. And in, add to this, in ancient cultures, the inheritance, like the inheritance, it was a 
beautiful responsibility, a call to honor your ancestors' legacy, to steward the land and spend, spend the money investing in more crops. The blessing of the inheritance was for the well-being of the community. It was supposed to be used in self-giving sacrifice, not self-centered greed. It was a call to love. So, David, he's committing an act of treason. Thanks. He's committing an act of treason, betraying the blessing of God and harming his family, harming his neighborhood. He's leaving not only a grieving father in his wake, but a fractured community with anticipated family fallout for generations to come. This happens every day in America. Maybe your family, listen, maybe your family has been racked by this kind of abandonment. In many ancient societies, rebellion like this was a serious enough offense for the death penalty. But the father doesn't order the death penalty for his son. He generously obliges. Like a genie summoned from the lamp, he accommodates his son, granting his dangerous wish. Okay? So he puts his PIN number in the ATM, unloads his bank account, and hands it all over to his son and says, bye, love you. And he watches his child ride off onto the sunset with money bags on both sides of the horse. You guys, this is our story. This is your story. All of us are David. We want to rule the world without God. We want to live our lives in independence rather than in communion. We like independence. A friend of mine, Josh Butler, he describes hell as... (laughs) He describes hell as... Democracy, the suburbs, and Facebook. It's democracy because we want to make our choices separate from any authority. It's the suburbs because we like our picket fences and we refuse community. And it's Facebook because we want to put a false image, we want to lie about ourselves to ourselves. So it's democracy, it's the suburbs, and it's Facebook. That is the hell that drives us away from God, and that is the hell that David is preferring over his dad. This is our story. We, sn- whoa, I have a lisp that goes right to the mic. He snatched the billions and bolted without his dad. We squandered dad's generosity on ourselves and endured exile. We're in exile because of our own doing, far from the face of the father. We are made for the Father, and we have exiled ourselves from the Father and preferred Facebook over the Father. We preferred elevating our own projection of who we hope to be in the name of our pursuit of immoral sex, drugs, rock and roll, notoriety, popularity, social shame, whatever it is. We believe, we believe the people in this room more than we believe God. We believe the people on Facebook more than we believe God. We, we, I know Facebook's old. Instagram. We believe the people on Twitter more than we believe God. This is something I struggle with. Me. But when the party lights fade, there's, for, this, for David, he goes out and spends the money. When the money goes away and the party lights fade, there's no more keg on tap. The dripping stops. There's no more cash flow. There's no more lady lovers. He ran out of money, so he ran out of ladies. When that happens, 
David takes a job from a local farmer tending pigs. Tending pigs sounds bad, but it was worse for the Jews. For the Jews, uh, yeah, he basically was calling this guy pig boy. Pigs were illegal because they were considered unclean and unfit for the people of God in those days. And this guy was, he had become a pig boy. Dirty and disgraced, he's unholy. So, okay, I don't know what you'd do if you were David. Gosh, here's what David does, this guy. He listens to the voices in his head and he says, okay, I, I, I gotta get back home. I, I, I gotta get back home. I have to find my way home. Even dad's slaves have food. And here I am starving to death, trying to race the pigs to their food with pig poop caked under my fingernails. This is my own doing. I know what I'll do. I'll go home, I'll tell dad what a mess I've made, and I'll beg for forgiveness. I know there's no chance of being a son again, but maybe, just maybe, if I'm lucky, I could get hired on with the staff at my dad's family farm. It's gotta be better than this pig farm. And it's easy for us to think in this cabin, like, of course dad would hire him. He's a son, of course he'd give him a job. But, but remember, in that day, this wasn't a sure bet at all. Like, he offended not just his family, but the community. Worst case scenario, he would get the death penalty, stoned along the road home, okay? We miss this, we miss this fear, this tension here, that going home is a very scary pro- prospect for this guy. But it's better than starving. A long, a long painful death of starving is better than a quick painful death of stoning, so I'm going home. That's his logic at this point. I wonder what the emotion he had. David, how do you think David felt when David did that David thing? Horrible. The emotion, like, was it, was it fear of how the father would respond? Shame at how he ruined his family name? Embarrassment? Embarrassment at when, he saw the, when he saw his brother who never left? There was one brother, one goody-two-shoes brother who never left could even face that guy. Whatever the David's thoughts, the father had something entirely different in mind. And many of you know the story. Dad spots him far away. It's like he's looking. It's like he's shielding the sun from his dry, cracked, dark-skinned Jewish eyes. And he's like, where is my son? I'm looking. I know he'll return. And you see wet with tears from blinking in the bright desert light and he's got, his, he's got his hand shielding. It's like he's already looking. Dad spots him from a mile away on the same horizon that he shamed him on leaving. It's as if the father's been waiting and when he spots him, the father stinking runs. Like an Olympic athlete, off the blocks, bolts from the doorstep, feet flying, <laughs> Like arms, like he's not a trained runner. He looks stupid. He's a dad. He's a dad runner. <laughs> so he's a dad runner. Like you're, if your dad's sprinting to like find you, imagine that. I don't know how, when's the last time you saw your dad like sprint at full speed? <laughs> I remember the last time I saw my dad sprint at first full speed, I was like six. Um, <laughs> and he timed himself with his watch like, Oh, that was fast. Like, he was, like, super excited about... Um, 
So this, this would have been even more funny, not funny, disgraceful back then, because he's the great patriarch. He's the king of the, of the family hill. And he's letting himself go, the lord of the land. His robe is like blowing in the wind, underwear peeking out above his bony knees. But the father doesn't care. He's running full speed, going the distance, as sweat breaks from his brow and steam like out of his nose. God is a gold medal runner and the finish line is you. Do you believe this? Can you let that sink into your heart? God is a gold medal runner and his finish line is you. So he gets to the finish line and I picture the son's head like, you know, like averted and shamed and like down to the ground. He doesn't want to see his father's pupils. He wouldn't dare. But, but, but the dad closes the distance and, and before the dad can get there, he's like, okay, dad, uh, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he can't even say another thing before the dad threw his arms around him and kisses him. And he's like, wait, wait, dad, you need to hear the rest. I'm serious. Uh, I, I, I hear the son trying to interrupt, but the father's having none of it. He's too busy shouting out with joy, quote, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fat calf, kill it, let's have a feast, celebrate, this son of mine was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found. Watch this, guys, God greets the lost son with joy, not guilt, okay? Do you believe that this is what God does with you? Every day, he greets you with joy, not guilt, not shame. Throw the crown back on my daughter. Treat her like royalty. Let's get this party started for my son. My child is home. You've come home. He's going to bring you the rest of the way with his own clothing around you because his own clothing will keep the shamers away and the haters away. The father is not some professor, academic, waiting to give us a lecture on what we should have done differently with the inheritance. He's a disco owner. <laughs> He's waiting to throw us a celebration with mad hot beats and a DJ. So if the lost lamb got a party from reckless Aaron, like a pet party, if the lost lamb got a pet party for the neighbors, Imagine what kind of party of the century God throws for a runaway child who comes home. Once again, we see, you guys, lost doesn't mean a letdown. You can't let God down. Lost doesn't mean lazy or fool. Lost means loved. Lost means loved. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Like, I know you can mentally assent. You can, you can mentally agree, yes, it's Friday, I'm tired. Yes, but yes, God loves me, this I know. But do you live in belief of this? Because that is who you are. 
loved by God. And Jesus couldn't have spelt it out more clearly. Can we stand? Notice how I'm not leaving you with like, so now go do this or something. Or like, what does that mean for this? Not doing that. In fact, this sermon doesn't, doesn't have like a real good landing. It doesn't have like a plane that like lands. Like what pastors talk, how are you gonna land the plane on Sunday's sermon? Like I don't, I don't I'm not landing it. There's no runway. This, 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 is, this is the thing that lost means loved. And do you believe that? Right now, there's nothing for you to do but receive. Nothing. Your identity has already been spoken over you. Tonight, we're going to talk about what loved people do. But you cannot get there. You can't get to the, you can't get to the do stuff until you have the who stuff. That's who you are. Too many sermons I've heard when I was your age. In this building, I, I literally, I was 10 years old when they built this thing. And 11 or 12 when I came to the second year of camps here. And I had so, there's so many great sermons. So many great talks. All of them were great. But a lot of them, a lot of them ended with a lot of extra things to do when sometimes I think maybe just landing on who, just who God is and who he says you are and just letting that steep like a, like a bag of tea in hot water, just letting it color the water. Just let the love of God color your water and, and, and smell it, taste it, pull up a chair, and ask yourself if you really believe that. Maybe you have a father, a real life biological father, who, all fathers, all fathers are imperfect. All fathers are imperfect. I'm an imperfect father constantly. So maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I'm loved or not because I've never seen this kind of love. Today God wants to open that eggshell wide and he wants to breathe into it a whole new way of thinking about love and the fact that you're loved and you're the apple of his eye, the center of his attention. Do you believe this? If you don't, you're in the right place. Just let it soak. Just let it soak. Heavenly Father, we don't believe your love often. How could we be that sheep? How could you leave the 99? That's stupid. Why would you burn $100 worth of oil to find a nickel? Lord, this kind of love doesn't make sense to us. And I pray that that nonsensical love would blow our minds now. <laughs>